Hello and welcome to episode six of What Would Jeeves Do? This is your host, Nick Jeeves, podcasting to you all the way from New York City. And oh, don't ever forget what a friend you have in me. like this week's episode. It's a special one because this week I spoke with former Navy SEAL and Army Ranger Jason Redman. It was Christmas Eve or thereabouts this year when I first discovered Jason on Twitter. I had noticed that actor Gary Sinise, who's very famous, he was in Forrest Gump uh, as Lieutenant Dan, is probably the most famous role. He's also very active in Veterans Affairs. So Gary Sinise had posted this story about a SEAL who had been shot in the line of duty and had to go through 37 surgeries to recover. When I saw that, I immediately said, I got to interview this guy for Fox. It's just, it's a story that needs to be heard. And I noticed with so much clickbait and bullshit and noise and negativity out there, that it wasn't such a bad thing to want to go for a story that was positive and redemptive and uplifting. Out of place as it may seem in today's news cycle, I thought that during the holidays especially it was important to put someone on a pedestal who had walked the walk and been through hell and back, but still had a smile on his face. You don't see that very often. When I took this job reporting, my main goal was to use that platform as a a blank canvas to tell the story of the underdog, to tell the story of ordinary people who were put under extreme strain and were put in extraordinary situations and still manage to do something incredible that helped the rest of us learn from them and be proud of them and use their story and their struggle to inspire ourselves. And I put in a lot of time and effort away from stories like that to, quote, pay my dues to have the right to publish these kinds of stories like the one I wrote with Jason. So this was a big deal for me. It was one of the first times that I actually got to pick the person or the topic that I was going to elevate to the top of the news. Whatever the cost it was, it was worth it because he taught me so much in such a short time. And the amazing thing about this episode is the story that he tells the profound moment that he picks to discuss is not about him getting shot. We touch upon that, of course. But he said there was an even bigger mountain that he had to climb before he ever took that bullet. Once he overcame that, he said coming back from getting shot in the face was easy by comparison. I'm so glad that I met this man And I think he was brought into my life for a reason. And if you're listening right now, I truly believe that he's been brought into your life.
for a reason. So sit back, relax, and let's take a listen to the wisdom of a leader, a hero, and a true American badass. This is episode six, Endure, with Jason Reppin. All right, so tell me, Jason, you've, uh, how long have you been in the military? How long did you serve? So I served for 21 years. Uh, I joined, believe it or not, September 11th, 1992. And uh, I was still in high school, but all I ever wanted to do was be a part of the military. And I joined specifically to become a SEAL and served until uh, August 30th of 2013, which was just a little under two weeks uh, shy of 21 years. But I figure with, you know, gunshot wounds and all of that, I just round up to 21. <laughs> That's awesome. What um what was the coolest place that you you got to travel to? I mean, I assume you traveled abroad, and you know whether it's part of your military service or your life. Have you gotten to go anywhere that's interesting or exotic? I, I did. Uh, um, so I really loved Central and South America. I just loved the people. I loved the culture. I really enjoyed the jungles of uh, of Panama. Um, and Peru. I really loved Colombia. I spent a lot of time in Colombia. So I just, I really enjoyed it down there. What's funny is I never made it to Cartagena, uh, which is, I've heard very beautiful, big vacation spot. So always wanted to go back there. And then, uh, I got to go to Europe and, uh, Berlin was just fascinating to me. It was just, there was so much history there. Uh, and I spent a couple of weeks there and I just toured the city. I did some of the guided tours. Um, and I'll tell you what, Nick, what was really cool is when I was there was in, uh, 2005. And, uh, uh, when you went to Checkpoint Charlie, where they still had the remnants of the wall and a lot of that history, they still had the crosses that represented every um, East German that had been killed trying to escape. And since then, they've taken all those down. They are no longer there. Uh-huh. So I'm kind of thankful that I got to see that, uh, you know, when I went there and just lived, you know, lived through some of this incredible history of World War II. That's amazing. And, and you, as a SEAL, the, if, you know, it's funny, the public, when they hear the word SEAL, they immediately think, you know, the video games, the movies, the badasses that get called in, you know, to save the day. And that's how most of the public, I think, views what you do. How much of what you do is in line with that kind of glamorized version of it? And how much of it is, you know, uh, more down to earth, uh, maybe secret, but different? You know, what's our perception of what you do versus what you actually do as a SEAL? Well, there's a, there's a small part that is absolutely true, obviously. I mean, the SEAL teams would not have the successes they have today uh, if it wasn't built upon some intense combat, some t- intense heroic acts going all the way back to um, the, the forefathers of the SEAL teams were called scouts and raiders, and a lot of people kind of knew them as the underwater demolition teams after that. But they were the individuals that cleared the beaches at Normandy, and we we sustained 75% casualties on that day. Uh, so truly heroic in that sense. They went forward to be one of the most decorated units coming out of Vietnam and then forward into um, the future, of course, with some of the incredible exploits, including, including the high point of uh, taking out Osama bin Laden. Yeah. But what's funny is friends of I, you know, friends of mine in the SEAL teams, we often joke that 
Um, that's probably 10% of what we do. Um, and anybody that's ever been in the military, you know, can appreciate the phrase, hurry up and wait. <laughs> and, uh, and the SEAL teams, you know, we've moved faster. We're able to do things. We're a smaller unit. Obviously, we're well-funded in special operations. But friends of mine used to joke that uh, if we ever made a video game truly about what it's like to be a SEAL, um, you would only be able to shoot about 20% of the time. The other the other time you would spend like building boats and carrying stuff and like moving gear and sitting around and waiting for flights and, you know, training evolutions and helicopters and everything else that is uh, part of the job. So, um, not quite as glamorous as Hollywood wants to make it out to be, but uh, definitely punctuated with some incredible moments. Well, I've, I've met you personally, and I interviewed you for an article that we did about your story. And I, I mean, I've met you in, in person. You are a badass. You come across as one. And we discussed that there is a discipline and kind of a Zen patience to what you do. And tell me, what, what do you eat? What's your diet like? Do you, you exercise on the regular? What, what's uh, that regimen look like for someone like yourself? I do. Fitness has always been a big part of who I am and what I've done. And I'll admit, I, I lost that for a little while. It's something I speak of in my new book, Overcome. And I think a lot of us out there are like that. As humans, um, you know, we, we go through seasons of our lives. And oftentimes when we're younger, we take advantage of our health and our ability to be athletic. And then as we get older and we get into our careers and we have families, that gets pushed down to a lower level. Uh, and we make up excuses why we can't do it. Uh, we get older, it becomes time, it becomes I'm too busy, it's not a priority. And one of the biggest ones I hear, and I was guilty of this, is I had sustained an injury. I had been all shot up, and I told myself, oh, well, you know, with my arm injury, with these things that have happened, I can't work out the way I used to, which is true. But that's a lie that we tell ourselves. You just have to figure out how to become the new 100% version of yourself. And I actually had to walk that path figure that out so about four years ago i walked that path and humbled my you know and told myself hey dude you know you, you got to start working out again you got to get yourself back in top shape because not only is it important for you you've been through a lot of damage i'm i've probably reduced as a matter of fact i know this for a fact i went to the doctor and 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 these days they can actually evaluate um you know we have so much medical data now that they can look at somebody's blood work and uh, and they can compare it to thousands and thousands of other people that are at that same age and the blood work will pretty much match. So they'll be able to look at that blood work and say, oh, well, um, you know, biologically, you are a X year old individual. Mm -hmm. Well, when I did that several years ago, biologically, I equated, I believe, with a 52 year old man. And I was only 41 when I did that or 42. Mm -hmm. But it makes sense. I mean, yeah, think about all the damage I've been through, all the surgeries, everything I've done. But I tell you what, it was a good wake up call for me because I said, man, I got to take care of myself. I got to have a good diet. I got to get good sleep. I got to, you know, watch how much alcohol I consume. I need to make sure I'm working out and pushing myself. So, um, so those are one of the big things that I do. I try to reduce the amount of sugar. I try to eat a pretty balanced diet. Uh, I work out, uh, usually on average almost six days a week. And, uh, and, you know, just try and take care of myself. So let's, uh, before, I want to talk about when you did get shot, but before we do, you had a difficult time. I've been reading about you after we'd met and, you know, become friends and I looked up your, some of your stories, listened to some podcasts. You'd kind of had a, a dark time and you thought you might not be 
get to be a SEAL anymore. And, you know, it was kind of in between, I guess, when you went to ranger school and, and when you went back to the SEALs. Uh, tell me a little bit about how you got through that, because that seemed like just as big of a mountain for you as when you got shot. It actually was a bigger mountain. Uh, a lot of people think, and wrongfully so, um, think that being shot up and going through that journey of four years and 40 surgeries uh, was the hardest thing. You know, that must be the hardest thing you've ever been through, and it wasn't. Uh, definitely the hardest thing I went through was uh, the, the setbacks or failures I had as a young leader. Um, and, and I write that really my first book to try to, the New York Times bestseller, uh, that's what that book about is about. It is about my leadership journey. Um, as a, as a young new officer, I'd been an enlisted member that had excelled at a very young age. I was really young when I came in the Navy. I was only 17 when I joined, still in high school. As soon as I graduated, I went straight to boot camp, uh, graduated SEAL training at 19 years old. And uh, went off into this career where, you know, suddenly I was doing amazing things and, you know, lots of responsibility, responsible for millions of dollars of equipment and, you know, doing counter drug operations and things like that. And I got a big head. I got a little ego. I got a little arrogant over my own capabilities and uh, did well enough that I was commissioned as an officer. But, uh, you know, thought a little too highly of myself and was a little more focused on me instead of the critical components of effective leadership, which is focusing on, you know, the mission and the people you're leading and how you, you know, motivate and inspire them to accomplish what we're doing and placing yourself last. And I did not do that. And uh, all of that kind of culminated with a bad call on a mission in Afghanistan in 2005. Thankfully, uh, nobody was lost due to my call and nobody was injured due to my call, but it just, it seriously damaged my professional credibility. And in the special operations community and the military, or, you know, probably really any job, I would think police, law enforcement, or police, fire, first responders, any job where your life depends on others around you, if you damage your credibility, uh, you know, you'll quickly get ostracized and pushed out of that community. And that's really what happened to me. A <laughs> guy said they didn't want to work with me. So humbling myself and uh, really coming to understand what I was made of, uh, you know, my strengths, my weaknesses, my um, probably wrong perception of who I was. Uh, and coming to understand who I really was and what it took to be an effective leader and earn back the trust of my teammates, that was about a two-year journey. And it is probably one of the hardest journeys um, that I've ever walked. Definitely much harder than being shot up. And that's amazing because people would think automatically, you know, almost 40 surgeries, got shot. You know, you, you're all cut up. Your arm is injured. You're, you know, your life's never going to be the same. But this was really what was the, the demon that you had to face. And, and that make it easier when you got shot, having climbed this mountain the first Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and it's funny. I mean, whatever your beliefs are, you know, I'm, I'm a man of faith. Uh, I believe that God uh, sets us up for success by oftentimes the obstacles and hurdles and hardship we go through. And it's one of the biggest things I talk about in my new book, Overcome, <laughs> that for every major adversity, every obstacle you come across, it is an opportunity to get better and to build an overcome mindset. And that two-year journey, struggling back to earn the respect of my teammates and prove that I had the ability to not only be a SEAL, but to be a SEAL leader, 
um, it was a really tough path. But by the time I got wounded, you know, I really had a great appreciation for what it is to be a leader. And it even gave me a higher appreciation after I was wounded because I was like, well, you know, I, I understand leadership. And, and a large part of leadership is just your attitude, how you manage that situation, positivity in the face of negativity. And I said to myself, you know what? I've been through all this other stuff. I can make it through this too. I'm just going to drive forward. I'm going to worry. I'm going to, I'm going to focus on what I can control and not worry what worry about what's outside of my control. And I'm going to try and lift the other people up around me because that's what good leaders do. Yes. And that was your attitude. I assume you took going into ranger school. You were given the chance, right? To go to ranger school, army ranger school. Um, actually, or was it after that? Uh, the, the moment happened after that. As a matter of fact, there was a really pivotal moment at Ranger School that I talk about in the Trident. A lot of people don't know it if they've never read the Trident. And uh, it is the uh, only major time in my life I've ever quit anything. So a lot of people don't know I quit Ranger School. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I uh, and this is where a God moment or a pivotal moment. You know, we were we were talking earlier about you know what is the one pivotal moment that had the greatest change or greatest impact on your life, and it occurred in Ranger School. <laughs> And uh, it was right at the beginning. I went to ranger school with a bad attitude. Um, I still was angry over what had happened, that I basically had gotten myself in trouble, that I had been ostracized. And uh, I, I was not – I had not made this transition yet. I was still looking at myself as the victim and um, and went to ranger school and still carried that level of arrogance, that chip on my shoulder and thought, you know, very arrogantly that I was just going to smoke, you know, that I was going to, you know, uh, breeze right through ranger school. Uh, big shout out to all the rangers out there. Ranger school was incredibly hard. Much respect for you guys. No, it is not harder than SEAL training. <laughs> I get asked that a lot. But it <laughs> is, it that. is, yeah, it is very hard. And I really thought that I would crush it. And, uh, and, you know, one, it's hard. And two, I had a bad attitude. So, uh, day three of ranger school, I failed the land navigation course. And when I failed it, the instructors gave me a, a, a lot of grief. I was already getting a lot of grief anyways. Um, but when they really laid into me about failing that, uh, I talk about and overcome different levels of leadership that create balanced leaders. And one of the third levels I talk about is called emotional leadership, our ability to manage our emotions in stressful situations, not to blow up, not to say things we shouldn't. And uh, I failed big time in that moment. I blew up, went off on those instructors and basically told them they could, you know, take the ranger school course and stick it where the sun didn't shine. And they said, are you quitting? And in that moment, I said, yep, I'm out of here. So for a moment, I quit. Um, I had to go see the Ranger Colonel. And uh, and I'll be honest, when it all happened, it all kind of happened so fast. Uh, but I was too proud to say, hey, I made a mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was, I'll be honest, I was ashamed. I mean, never before in my life had I quit anything. And uh, suddenly here I was. And, and what I recognized, it was the end of my career. I mean, SEALs, we don't quit. Our, our, our community is built on this. So I knew that I wouldn't be able to come back to the SEAL teams, or at least, you know, if I came back, my career was over. So I kind of resigned myself that night that my military career was over. So the next day I went and saw the Ranger Colonel. Basically told him I think my career is over, that I, you know, I've been still had that victim mindset. 
And this is where a God, fate, pivotal moment that changed my life came in. Uh, the Ranger Colonel said, hey, do you, you know, do you happen to know this guy, you know, uh, Vince Peterson, who was a legendary SEAL leader who had been my commanding officer who had recommended me for a commission. I mean, just a legend in the SEAL teams and across special operations community. And I said, yes, absolutely. And he was like, do you want to talk to him? I was like, no. <laughs> you know, I was ashamed at what I had done, but he already had him on the phone and like handed the phone to me. And I had so much respect for, uh, for Vince that I could not uh, not take that call. And, uh, basically I told him, I said, Hey, I just don't think there's any way I can recover from the mistakes that I've made. I told myself a lie. I hear so many people tell themselves that it is too late. Yes. It is too late. There's too much damage. I burned too many bridges. And, uh, and one of the big things I said to him was the guys will never follow me because of the mistakes I've made. And uh, he gave me the best leadership advice I've ever been given in my life. And I, I talk, anytime I speak to companies, I talk about this. But he said to me, people will follow you if you give them a reason to. And, uh, and a switch kind of got thrown in my mind. Uh, and I, it made me realize that it's never too late. No matter how bad you've messed up, no matter how bad you've, um, you know, fallen, uh, people will follow you if you give them a reason to. So... It doesn't matter how ostracized or tarnished you are. If you're given the opportunity and you maintain that superior, sustained performance over time, people are going to follow you. And uh, and I I you know thankfully after a uh, <laughs> after a month long hiatus in Ranger School Jail, uh, I joined a new class and then drove forward from that moment. Uh, you know, just focused on you know, trying to be an effective leader and trying to be an effective member of a team. What a comeback. And then you eventually made your way back to become a SEAL again. You, you told me about that, that at the end, when you did come back, they presented you with the paddle to, to kind of say you made it back. And what, what did that feel like? What is that moment of just catharsis? It's got to feel like a weight off your shoulders. Yeah. I mean, it was amazing. I mean, I never, I never, um, I never left the community. I never had my trident taken, but I was just kind of, you know, ostracized a little bit from some of the mistakes that I had made. But to be welcomed back in and, and, you know, the paddle that you and I had talked about, you know, it is a, uh, when individuals leave different commands in the military, oftentimes the commands will present them with gifts and different commands do different things. Um, it's funny, I'm sitting in my office and the uh, Air Force AC-130 squadrons, uh, they actually take a shell, a 105 millimeter shell, and they cut it and turn it into like a beer stein. Um, so these are, these are some of the, yeah, yeah, it's really cool. And these are some of the gifts that, you know, they do when you're leaving. Well, in the SEAL teams, uh, we present individuals with paddles and typically they have the emblem on there and they will have, uh, you know, if they, if they like you and, you know, you've done well, then usually there's a, uh, a poem or a limerick that guys come up with to, to make fun of you, but also to say, Hey, you know, you did great. And, uh, and when I left, that's, I received my paddle and, you know, they both made fun of me and said, Hey, you know, you did a good job. And to me, that was coming full circle. Uh, that paddle this day is one of my most prized possessions. Um, so, so what, when you were, you had kind of a, a three stage, uh, kind of arc, it seems that you, you said you were kind of hot shit. You were the hot shot. You were a little, you were good at what you did, but you, you know, weren't Zen enough. And that kind of, you know, got you in some hot water. 
What was your relationship you know, with God like? If you mentioned your faith and prayer, what was it like before you had to, you know, go to ranger school? That you said that was the darkest time when you had to bounce back. And then, did your relationship change further after you got shot with God, or was it kind of you got over the hill with with God and then it stayed constant, you know, up until you got shot? No, I definitely. Uh, I grew up in a pretty religious home, uh, you know, definitely. Uh, but I also, I think, had what I call blind faith. Uh, when you're younger and you've grown up in a religious home, you just kind of accept, hey, this is what my parents did. I just accept my faith is what it is. Um, as I got older, I got a little more analytical and, you know, I'm very inquisitive. I wanted to know. And I think I also got into military. The military sometimes is a... Um, can be uh, a hard place for religion. There are some people that just kind of have a, you know, 100 miles an hour, you know, let's let's drink and fight and be part of, you know, these military units. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there is obviously a balance and there's also a place for faith. And uh, uh, for those who definitely believe, I kind of hid mine away for years and just, you know, used it as an excuse to do what I wanted to, being a part of the military. But uh, as we went into war, um, you know, I won't say there's 100% truth to there's no atheists in foxholes. Because uh, I, I I know some atheists I served on the battlefield with, but uh, you know most people uh, most people you know get a little closer to faith when you know on nightly basis they are faced with the fact that they may no longer be here. And I know I went down that road. Uh, I had a very pivotal God moment uh, once again when I was shot. Um, I was pretty convinced that I was bleeding out, and the doctors, you know, confirmed with the amount of blood that I lost. They were pretty astounded that I survived. Um, and, and, you know, I called out to God in that moment and said, hey, I need to go home. I need to see my wife and kids again. I need your help. I need your strength. And I can't explain it. Um, I literally couldn't move a muscle. Um, you know, it was hard to breathe uh, when I made that prayer. And then suddenly I had energy. And, um, and I don't know, uh, to this day, I have no idea what that time frame was. Uh, the firefight we were involved in lasted about 40 minutes. And, um, and I was shot within the first few minutes of the firefight. So I was laying there losing a lot of blood over at least 35 minutes. So whatever time I prayed that prayer, um, from that moment forward, I had energy, enough energy. Uh, so going from not being able to move, I remember I tried to move my right hand. I was getting numb and cold and all the symptoms of going into, you know, hypovolemic shock. And, um, and suddenly um, I just had this energy. And when the helicopter came in, it landed about 75 yards away. And my team leader, um, who I owe my life to, you know, came over and started to drag me. And uh, that that produced a whole bunch of pain, and I said, "Hey, stop! You know, just let me get up." And uh, I walked to the helicopter and got on under my own power. Oh my God, you are a walking miracle, Jason. I mean, I I know a little more, you know, because I've gone in depth to interview you and you know read some of your book and heard the the interviews. But my God, I mean, that's just how often do you, do you think about that a lot? Do you think about that day? Some people, you know, they say they have flashes of those kinds of traumas, a little bit of it, you know, every day kind of pops in their head some days more than others. Do you think about that a lot? Um, I think about it in the aspect that I got a second chance. I don't think about it in a negative aspect, like, Oh God, you know, that was such a terrible thing that happened to me. Um, 
I think I'm a realist. I understood the I, I understood the dangers of being in combat and being a SEAL. Unfortunately, guys get injured and guys get killed. But I also recognize that I survived. Um, you know, for whatever reason, God allowed me to come home, mm-hmm. and I got a lot of friends who did not come home. And they were much better SEALs than me. Um, so I feel like I owe it to them uh, to try and make the most of everything I have and to try and drive forward and to try and help people and try and help, you know, share the lessons that I've learned. Um, because, you know, I guarantee, you know, my buddies who are no longer here, they would give anything to still be here and be with their families and making a difference. So, uh, I don't see it as a negative thing. I see it as a positive thing. Once again, something else that forged me into who I am today. And, and, you know, it is, it is a critical moment in my life. It is a moment where I got a second chance. And I tell people, most people don't get a second chance at life. You know, unfortunately, when it's time to go, we just check out and go. And um, your life does flash before your eyes. If you have the luxury of thinking about, you know, I mean, I, I had some, <laughs> I had a little bit of time laying under gunfire to think about <laughs> the fact that I was dying. And, uh, and I had a lot of regrets. I had a lot of regrets on things I had done in my life. I had a lot of regrets on things I hadn't done. And I talk to people about that now, you know, um, because for most people out there, uh, when your time comes, uh, and, and make no mistake, uh, everybody's time is coming. You know, that's the one guarantee we have. We're all going to die someday. Yeah. Uh, so you got to live your life to the fullest and you got to take care of things now because, um, not everybody's going to get a second chance like I did. My dad used to say that we're all in this together and none of us are making it out alive. So I always liked that and took it with me to keep it in perspective and uh, reminded me of that. But the hand of God is on you, uh, Jason. I know it is. I felt it. And I want to just quickly share a personal aspect of you and I meeting and and writing about you for our listeners. When we met, um, I I knew a little bit about what you'd gone through. It was apples and oranges. But I've been in a situation where I've had a lot of surgeries. I've had a lot of health issues. And I've had doctors come to me and say, you may not walk again. You know, you may – you may die on the table. You know, you may not be able to live your life the way you thought it was going to go. You know, your earth could be shattered. And you inspire me. And it's hard to find people that have gone through that sort of struggle and that I can relate to because, you know, you, you go through a big trauma, you think it's difficult, you know, to find people. Um, you gave me a challenge coin. And on the coin, it said, no bad days, lead always, overcome all. And every day since you gave me that coin, I look at it every day before I leave, and it helps me. It inspires me, and I'm glad we met. I think we met for a reason, and I think part of that reason is to get that story out there to everyone we can because everybody's been there. And I just I appreciate what you're doing, and I appreciate your strength, Jason. I've seen I haven't seen a lot like this, and I've covered a lot of different people and a lot of different topics in my career, and. You're, you're one of the few, man, and I appreciate everything you're doing. It's an amazing story. Well, Nick, I, I really appreciate that, and uh, and I love – thank you for sharing that. And um, You know, at the end of the day, and I think this is the critical thing, it's something that I, I talk about. I just recently was able to do my first TED Talk. It's not live yet. It should be any day now. Awesome. But that was the big thing I told people is you have a choice. That's one of the greatest gifts you have in this life. You have a choice in how you're going to deal 
with negativity and with setbacks and with adversity. And, and you can, and, and we are inundated in deluge with negativity. We're inundated with people, the naysayers who will tell us you can't do this. And so many people believe that. Um, you know, that doctor told you, you may not walk again or you may not walk correctly again. The doctors told me I'd never lift more than 30 some pounds with my mangled arm. As a matter of fact, in the beginning, they were going to amputate my arm. So, I mean, you have a choice with what you can do with it. So everybody out there that's listening, I mean, just understand, you know, it may be hard. It may not be the outcome you think you wish it would be, um, but you could have a better outcome than just sitting there on the X and the point and feeling sorry for yourself. But it all comes down to you. It's the power of you and it's the power of your choice and how you're going to drive forward. Jason Redman, uh, one of the best people I've ever met, one of the coolest people, and uh, definitely a badass to the core. And I just, I, I love it, man. I love that you're out there doing this, and uh, I hope you'll come back and visit us again when you write your next book, because I'm sure it'll be just as informative and inspirational as everything you've done so far. So thanks for coming. Yeah, man, I'm already starting to think about that. What is the next book? So, Nick, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate your friendship, and thanks for having me on. Of course, man. We'll be in touch, and thanks for coming on. It's always a pleasure. Absolutely. Some powerful words from an amazing guy in Jason Redman. So the crux of the interview was simple. Jason faced a lot of adversity. And he had a choice to make. Not an easy one, but a simple one. He talked about being ostracized for mistakes that he'd made and how that was worse than any of the bullets that he took in Iraq. And instead of folding or giving up, he had to dig deep and rebound from something that on its face is awful. So in that situation, personally speaking, what would Jeebus do? I know a little bit about what he was going through. I was never shot or never went through the mental struggles or physical struggles of being a SEAL and of going through that exact situation, but I've beaten cancer. I've had brain and spinal cancer and beaten it, and I've rebounded from a broken back and being told that I might not be able to walk again. And I bring that up not to try to match Jason's story, but I bring it up to say that I know how he feels. And I had a similar feeling to what he had when he said he was bleeding out on the ground. You're faced with this harsh reality, and you have this choice to make. You can give in to the fear and the bumps in the road, become a recluse and allow pain and suffering to dictate who you are and what you're going to do or as Jason did you can recognize that you can overcome and begin to fight back and begin doing everything positive that is within your control to do your best and to fulfill your potential now it was a slow climb back for Jason and that's also something I can relate to and speak on because I've had days that have felt like weeks, weeks that have felt like months, and, and months that have felt like an eternity. But 
like with Jason's story, he stuck it out. He decided right off the bat that he was going to have a positive attitude and that he was going to pull himself out of the hole. And that's absolutely the way you should tackle any obstacle. His other expression, overcome all. It's the only way to come back from something like that. The way that Jason overcame what life threw at him with patience and optimism and hope, I think that really is the only way you can ever truly conquer trauma like that. And to be honest, you're not always going to feel great doing it. You know, Jason and I also talked a little bit about some of his mantras and his pump of phrases. And one of them was no bad days. I love that sentiment. And they're great words to live by. But here's where my opinion may be a little bit different from Jason's in that you are going to have some, some rough days and bad days climbing out of the abyss. It's bound to happen. But even in those dark days, if you can remind yourself that it's better to keep going, and if you can extract just one good moment from each day and continue to keep breathing and moving forward, you will find redemption and meaning at the end of it all. And you'll enjoy those good moments that much more that you kept the faith in the hard times and that you jumped in with both feet. I mean, there's a great expression where whether you jump off the diving board with one foot off and one foot on or you jump in with both feet, you're going to end up in the water one way or the other. So there's something to be said with meeting that kind of trauma with gusto and with hope and energy. And that's what Jason did. And he can speak to it. I can speak to it. It works. It's hard and it takes discipline, but it really is the only way to face down life when it throws you something that you think you can't handle. And he did it masterfully, and I'm glad he was able to come on and share with us because I've seen a lot in not just my life, but in my career writing. And Jason was one of the most amazing people I ever met, and I'm glad that he came on so that he could share his story with us and that we could share that story with you. Now, coming up in another two weeks, we're going to be interviewing my friend Abby Roth. She is... An amazing person. She has a lot of good things to say on life, on how to live in today's world, not just on social media, but how to separate that from real life. <laughs> kind of a rare take these days when everyone seems to be on their phones. But I think you're going to enjoy her take just as much as Jason's. It's a different point of view, but same caliber of character. And I think that it will continue the trend that we've had. Of when things get tough, what do you do? How do you handle it? And it's going to be a good one. So tune in in two weeks, and we look forward to seeing you again. And never, ever forget to ask yourself, what would Jeebus do? <laughs>